Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another rockin' and rollin' episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast. I am Monster. Joining me is Danger. Say hello, Danger. Hello, Danger. Today, we are continuing our series on very important records from 1997, going with Sugar Ray's Lord, which came out June 24th, 1997. Danger, how do you feel about Sugar Ray and this album in particular? Do you have any personal connection to the these guys? All right. So I know last week I said that this is a very underrated Sugar Ray album. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm going to stick with. This is an underrated Sugar Ray album, but it's still a Sugar Ray album. Yep. That's a very good description. Yes. So I have no personal attachment to Sugar Ray in any way whatsoever. Nothing about Sugar Ray has ever jumped out at me. This album was a very unexpectedly, uh, unexpected, hard driven album. Now, mm-hmm. I had heard this before. It's been some number of years since I've actually listened to this, but I've always kind of thought, this is an underrated Sugar Ray album. And I'll talk about this several times. Fly is not representative of this album at all. Nope. And I've got theories as to why the sound changed mm-hmm. and all. But I have I have no history with Sugar Ray at all. Aside from hitting next or turning <laughs> off the radio or whatever it may be. <laughs> So uh, I, I kind of brought this up on the last episode, but and I'm actually wearing the uh, the tour shirt from 1997, not the exact one because that one obviously too old. But are those I, I amp bought, tubes with guys sitting yeah, on top? Transistor, okay. transistor. Oh, yeah. This was 311's transistor tour. Um, I was going to ask, is that a 311 shirt because that fits yes. the motif they had? Yeah. Okay. So in 1997, I would have been uh, 11 or 12, and I saw my first big real concert. My brother took me to see 311, and the opening acts were Incubus and Sugar Ray. And in 1997, Sugar Ray only had two records out, Lemonade and Brownies, which came out in 95, and then Floored, which came out that year. Which Lemonade and Brownies is objectively not a bad album. It's, no, it's, it's not a great album, but it's not a bad album, especially for a band's first, you know, yeah. outing. Now, what I can't remember is if I got floored before or after I saw them, but I did get it at Kmart and had the edited version, okay, which was, and we'll get into it, but uh, there's not a lot of bad language on this album, but when it comes, it comes pretty frequently, and it's funny the stuff Kmart edited and did not edit, but we'll we'll get there. You're and, right. And the, the 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 curse words and stuff are not frequent, but when they are present, uh, they go for <laughs> they go for gold. So just to to give a little bit of um backstory into the band, they were formed in uh, Newport Beach, California, which is Orange County. Yeah. Uh, actually, all the way back in 1986. But they had a different name for a while. Do you know what their name was? I don't. They were called the Shrinky Dinks. I think I did. And when you listen to Lemonade and Brownies, which came out in 95, you can hear a little bit more of the like funk metal, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Rage Against the Machine vibe. A lot of that is still present on Floored, but it's a little more rough around the edges on Lemonade and Brownies. Floored was kind of the album that put Sugar Ray on the map. You alluded to it earlier because of the song Fly. Which, not a single track on this record sounds like that song other than that song. Well, okay, so to expand on what you just said, there is another track that sounds like Fly, and that's the other version of Fly. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. But what was what I found funny, you know, hindsight 2020 was when that album came out, that song was a huge hit. It was on 
alternative radio. It was on pop radio. It was on everything. TV, yeah. It was on Kmart's uh, radio in their store. (laughs) (laughs) And most critics wrote them off as a one-hit wonder because nothing else on the album sounded like that song. So kind of when they released their next album in 99... 1459 was a joke about their 15 minutes of fame and pretty much every song on it sounds like fly. (laughs) So I did go and listen to it because I've never actually listened to 1459. I like it. And the thing about it is it's much more polished of an album. And I would say two thirds of it sound like fly or sound like a band that wrote fly basically. Yeah. The other third of it sounds like beachy punk music. Yeah. Kind of. Kind of. And, you know, I, I, I can't tell you the exact interview or exact time that it came up, but I've heard several times Mark McGrath and some of the other guys basically say, look, in the late 80s, early 90s, we were a bunch of angry kids. So we wrote angry music and we liked to scream and yell and jump up and down. And then we got older and we started to mellow out. And so our music reflected that and we wanted to do more mellow tunes. Coincidentally, the mellow tunes is what put them on the map and made them rich, famous rock stars. So, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg? But at the end of the day, they released two really heavy records and then a whole bunch of really chill, you know, grooving beachy records. And honestly, my personality, I'm cool with both. And I think, you know, depending on my mood, Florida is probably my favorite Sugar Ray record, but that's not to say I haven't listened to every subsequent record as well and enjoyed a lot of those as well. My theory on the change of things. Now, I do have this further down in my notes when we actually come across the track Fly. I do know that Mark McGrath stormed out of the studio several times in protest of putting Fly on the album. And that was something I'd actually read before we decided to take on this album today. And my thought on the whole thing is seeing where Mark McGrath is now, knowing that he, I don't know, is he still on entertainment tonight? I don't, I was going to say, I don't know exactly, but I know he was like on game shows and talk shows. He became just a pop culture person for a while. Now, I actually, I stick to Henry Rollins' thing about selling out, which is to do something for money but not change your sound is not selling out. The goal of every musician, every writer, every artist is to make it big and make a career off of their product, whatever it may be. If a band makes it big and doesn't change their sound, they didn't sell out. They just rode the wave and and happened to take that chance. I think that... Because they did change their sound, I don't want to say they sold out, but they definitely bought in. Let's put it that way. And I think that Mark McGrath may have stormed out of the recording studio, you know, put his foot down in protest and said, I don't want to record Fly, especially two copy or two versions of it on our album, our album that is uh, an angry beach music. And okay. The description I put down is if Red Hot Chili Peppers tried the hip-hop reggae funk of 311, the punk of whenever, and trying to harness the anger of a 13-year-old's copy of Korn's first CD, and they tried to make something that could be played at a beach music or a beach party. That's my uh, uh, overall assessment of this album. Or maybe they were big fans of Sprung Monkey. You remember Sprung Monkey? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even though Mr. Funny Face was... I think their breakout album, if you could say breakout, uh, came out in 98, right. uh, which I had that one. So this, anyway. this slots in well with that 90s era, like Sprung Monkey, The Flies, yep. uh, you know, kind of teeters the line between rap rock. And to me, what I heard a lot of was felt like there was still a lot of that 90s grunge in the riffs, but 
more of that snot mentality. I don't know that that might be a reference. A lot of people don't won't get, but snot was a band around this time. They only did one album. Uh, their vocalist Lynn Strait died before they could they really take off. But they were on uh, one or two of the Ozfests back in the nineties and were blowing everybody out of the water because they were just bonkers. And they had that rap metal sound, but a lot of punk in there too, real aggressive, like rap rock. And matter of fact, Mark McGrath sings on one of the songs on Lynn Strait's tribute album, because obviously snot was a big influence on old school sugar Ray. So I think, Everything so, you said is right. All all of those elements are in there. Oh god, yeah. So I think that, you know, after the rest of the band and maybe the producers and all, they said you're gonna put fly on the album, the record labels are gonna put fly on the album. I think Mark McGrath and the rest of the band got bit by the success bug and they were like, you know what? This is a sound that works better for money and for paying rent. <laughs> and so they just went that route. And so did they buy in did they sell out or did they just do it to make money to be able to survive and still make music i don't know you know that's not i think the answer is yes yep okay fair enough yeah but (laughs) regardless i this album was a struggle for me to listen to in my current state it was (laughs) i'm going to need you to strongly defend this album in this conversation i yeah at 44 minutes it's a struggle I wish it was 1459, like their next album. You know, it, it just, I wish it was that short. But that's the thing about this is that there is a few, you know, a few spots that I really genuinely enjoy on this album. And there's some good, just punk guitar, just yeah. that should have been a more of, more of a shining, you know, moment, you know, more of something that was given room to breathe and run. And that is and where that goes away. Mm-hmm. I want it to come back, but this album shows that sugar Ray can rip off other artists. Okay. So I have a really not to pat myself on the back, but I like how I wrote my closing thoughts. Obviously I'll save them, but I, I'll address some of your concerns as no, we go. That's through. that's fine. Let's do it. But I did want to find. I did want to say something before we jump into the album that I thought was interesting. So there's no doubt that Sublime is an influence on Sugar Ray. There's there's okay. no doubt. It's it's in there. That's that's the the beach side of what they're doing, and floored shares a producer with Sublime's Sublime, their self-titled album, David Kane. K-A-H-N-E? Kane? Con? I don't know. Um, sure. And Mark McGrath and Bradley Newell were first cousins. That I did not know. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting little, little tidbit. So I don't think, not to uh, show my hand too early, I don't think this is an album that we need to go real deep into song by song. Well, I don't uh, think it's a song by song, but I I do want to hear why this album means so much to you. Is it a nostalgia thing? Is it just that you genuinely love this album? I want you to tell me. I, I, I'm interested to yeah. hear what you got on this one. So the first three songs, RPM. anyone all three of these songs share a little bit of sonic space they they all have a little bit of a heavy grungy guitar with real basic lyrics usually about just I, I do like the lyrics of anyone because it is kind of a positive message is saying you know anyone can do it if you put your mind to it kind of thing 
And I also like the way the album kicks off very Girls, Girls, Girls by Motley Crue with yep. uh, the engine rev with the guitar swell. I, I, It's corny as all get out, but it's still fun. Um, I, I did think that their play on the engine revving against the guitar, I, I did think that that was a good little touch. I, I did like that as a creative move. So, but real quickly, within those first three songs, you've got the punk you've got the new metal, you've got the grunge and, and let's not take away that they also have a DJ in the band. So even yes. though they have these parts that are super grungy sounding, like I, I don't want to say they sound like Alice in Chains, but they have sort of the same, oh gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it's mixed similarly. Like okay. I remembered this being a heavier album than when I went back and listened to it like that. The, the chugs at the beginning of RPM, uh, breathe like those are heavy, but they're not as over like low end heavy like you hear on a corn record or on a Limp Biscuit record. So I don't think that these guys, if you can picture in your mind what corn does live, where they are hunched over, the guitars are freely hanging, and yeah, I don't see them doing this on stage, I don't see them doing it as part of their performance. And to be honest, RPM objectively is a decent song. It is. Yeah. You know, there are elements of it that I do like. I don't think it all works extremely well together, but it is an assault of the guitar. <laughs> I mean, the fact that they use race engine samples in it, I think is a fun thing. And like I said, the the uh, dichotomy, the juxtaposition, whatever you want to, yeah. the pairing of the engine with the guitar that was that was an interesting little thing to hear for me and this album or that song specifically yes they do have a dj in the band rpm is the song that the dj swings by the local record store and goes to the dollar bin and picks up whatever album because that's where album the dollar store bin goes to die <laughs> in live performances because he scratches the album that much in the song I yeah. don't think it's ex I don't think it's a bad move. Yeah. I don't think it's needed to the point that they do it. That first song shows that they can handle their aggression well and they yeah. can aim their aggression. And that's cool. Breathe, I felt like at breathe after RPM, I needed to breathe myself. I needed a breath. It was just it was just an onslaught. And don't get me wrong, you know that I like my metal. You know I like my heavy stuff. But it was just, it, it felt like a second RPM. It felt like a sequel to it. And anyone, yep. I didn't even put notes on anyone because anyone felt like more of that. And it was just, yeah. at a certain point, give me give me a, a, a minute. Give, give me a, a, a change. Give me so So anyone does, anyone does change sonically because the verses are just kind of this walking bass. It does start with a, like a almost like a revving engine again, but it does the the actual verses and stuff. It's a little bit more mellow, but that's when track four fly. All around the world. Not just any fly, the fly featuring Supercat. Which, this was a thing back in the day where it was either white guys trying to do a dance hall voice or it was you just got the dance hall guy on your white guy song. No Doubt did it. Um, sure, you know, a lot of other bands did it too. And at the time, I remember liking, uh, not to bury the lead here, but the last track on the album is also Fly, just without the dance hall voice. Um, right. And at the time I liked the, the sugar Ray only version. Now I think, especially when you listen to the album as a whole, that song fly without the extra vocals sounds a little bit sparse. It does. And so, so I get why it's in there. And, and this, this was a huge, huge hit. Um, and I have to ask a question. Yeah. Sorry. That, that was, I was just going to say 1997, uh, 95 to 99, you had a lot of songs 
like this. A lot of the bands that you mentioned earlier, Sublime, 311, no doubt, this is when they were kind of at their peak. So does the other version of Fly sound sparse and empty because this other version is there and you were given this first? Or... Right. So if you never heard this one, would it be okay? Would it be... Would it have been the hit that it was? I personally think probably because you still got that cool little uh, thin guitar. Uh, You've got the, you know, the big, I just want to fly kind of like hook that gets stuck in your head. The one thing that does piss me off is that this song still gets played on the radio today. Absolutely. You hear it all the time, but they take out the bridge. And the bridge is the only part that connects it to this album. It's not super heavy, but it just kicks into a little bit of a, a of a groove, and it's got some distorted guitar in there. And it's not so heavy that it shouldn't be on the radio. Like I don't understand why they have to take it out. No, there there's heavier stuff on the radio, but maybe not the stations that play Fly. So you know, but also at the same time. Would it be in there if it wasn't the version with Supercat that gets played? It's right, th- right. there's a lot of the would it be if it wasn't this sort of thing mm-hmm. with this. And the thing about but, the thing about Fly is it objectively is not a terrible song. It's not a no, great it's song. A song. It's a radio hit song. It's what it is. But it's also been played fifty four million six hundred eighty two thousand three hundred fifty seven times in my life, and I don't ever want to hear it again. And yes, I put down that number. <laughs> I, yeah, I no, don't ever want to hear it again. I no, I, I'm with you on that one, and I think it's the song that put them on the map. It's the song that got them where they are today, for better or for worse. It's the song that made this album go double platinum. There, there's not another song on this record that could have put this at a double platinum status. There could. There, there is. It's fly. Yeah, yeah. It comes at the end. Uh, because so they then, put that song in here twice, I am going to make fun of it. I'm just I'm going hey, to. And a weird move, but you have to imagine that that is a, uh, that is a label move. Like, that is Absolutely. definitely not the one they this song, um, This song was a label move. Now, for me, where the album really shines is songs like Track 5, Speed Home California. This is the kind of stuff you hear a lot of this on Lemonade and Brownies. This is where I think that California rock and roll punk rock sound is where Sugar Ray was really in their sweet spot. So I don't really have much of a problem with Speed Home California. It was much faster paced following Fly, but then I had to remember that Fly does not represent the rest of the album. So it's much faster paced. And this to me sounds like, um, I don't know, just after Hillel died in Chili Peppers and they went um and if they did like a surf punk thing. And yeah, I can't hear that's that. what I feel like in this. I was thrown off by and 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 there's kind of a, a back and forth with I was kind of thrown off in when he says California in the uh the chorus, he kind uh, of puts a country twang on it, which made me does. wonder where he was from. And he's actually from uh Hartford, Connecticut. He moved to Newport Beach when he was eight. So he's from uh Newport Beach. You know, that's where you get all yep. your stuff at that point. Anyway, but also at the same time, I think that this album actually shows that um Sugar Ray has a great sense of humor. Okay, so this is a good time to bring this up. So the next song, uh, High Anxiety. So at this point, we're, we're, at, we're about halfway through the record, and you've heard some angry riffs, you've heard some more playful stuff, you've heard Fly, and then High Anxiety is just this 
it, it's a funky beat with Mark McGrath talking on top of it. There's so at this point, I think we need to address the elephant in the room for as good looking as he is. Mark McGrath is not a great singer, but what he lacks in talent, he makes up for in charisma and delivery. I think his having fun is infectious. High anxiety is just a weird little thing. I feel like it could have been shorter and been fine. It, it feels more like an interlude that they were like, we like it too much to stop playing it. So we're going to make it a full song. And Mark was like, I'm not writing lyrics. So here's what you're getting. <laughs> so you're going to put in a lot of samples of other things. Yes, exactly. So after high anxiety, when you get to the back half, I think is when we're having fun again. And I think that this album captures a couple of things really well. And that's driving fast, partying, drinking, just having a good time. And so once you get past high anxiety, you've got tap, twist, snap. Which is just about drinking beer. That's talking about that's what tap twist snap is is opening beers <laughs> so tap twist snap sounds like a beach party friendly version of the misfits it's yep i get that exactly it's it's very similar in vibe to sweet home Cal, uh speed home california it's got a little bit of punk got a little bit of grunge a little 80s metal and then lyrically it's just about having a good old time and then american pig starts I remember when I was a kid, this one hit me like a ton of bricks because it, it starts with a sample of a guy saying, I know you're going to dig this. Yeah. And then just kicks into this just massive sounding guitar, real single note, John, 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 John. But like I said earlier, hindsight being what it is, all this new music that's come out in the past couple of years, it's not as heavy as I remembered it being. It, it's not a super heavy song. I think this may be the heaviest song on the album, but it's not a super heavy song. It does, you know, the, the good, the guitars definitely are on the heavier side of things. Yeah. That's undeniable. This sounds like they were going for faith. No more to me. That's what I got out of it. And the song, the song is a, it's, it's a good song. It's a fine song, but the chorus ruins it every time. The, the, Put your foot in, in your mouth, but the hole's too big. You talk some shit. I'll make your eyes burn. If you don't quit, time for a hard learn. So, whereas on number five... Wait, 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 wait. What was the last line? Time for a what? For a hard learn. Are we sure? I I, I don't know. The lyrics, uh, the chorus always threw me off. And so I was like, okay, I gotta go see what it says. And it like there are quite a few points on this album where I checked out. There, I, I honestly I had thought, and you're probably right. I honestly thought he was saying time for a hernia. No, I, I mean, he may say time for a hernia. It's obvious they have a good sense of humor, so he may say hernia, but. I oh. I don't recall hernia. I don't remember hernia, but yeah. Number five, high anxiety. It's a sample heavy song. And I feel like it was where I, I feel like five is a filler song at best. It was it six. Well, no, five, the uh, high anxiety. I feel like it was a filler oh, I song. Thought Speed Home was five. I don't know why. No, sorry. Five is Speed Home. Sorry. Six is high anxiety. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I was off there. I feel like high anxiety was a um, a filler song and it was uh, it should have been an interlude. And I think you're right. Mark McGrath probably said, I'm not 
write any more lyrics. And the rest of the band was like, hey, we got this other song that we've been working on. It's not done yet. Let's put these together and see how it works. And then American Pig number eight was just kind of them going, I think we finished the song that we were working on. And then Mark McGrath was like, hey, I've been listening to a lot of Faith No More lately. Epic's a great song. (laughs) And he came in and then we got American Pig. So then, to your point about the sense of humor, then the next two songs are, again, just I'm having a good time at this point. So number yeah. nine. No, that's, is that's stand, fine. I get that. So, so number nine, Stand and Deliver. is actually an Adam Ant cover song. Mm-hmm. Um, if anybody's unfamiliar with Adam Ant, just uh, imagine a slightly goofier David Bowie. I'm very theatrical. Very androgynous. Mu- yes. Musically, they, they, they do have their differences, but that's the best comparison I can come up with. I've heard other bands cover this song, uh, but you can tell again, Mark McGrath, again, not a great singer, but what he's doing vocally fits the vibe of the song, and it's just silly. It's just, it's just meant to be silly. I like it. It's fun. It's simple. I like it. So I had actually heard this before because I I kind of like Adam and the Ants, and the way I would put it is the way I would describe Adam Ant is David Bowie, but without the funding, <laughs> and. <laughs> Yeah, you know, less theatric, uh, having to do his own makeup and whatnot. Anyway, so <laughs> when I first listened through to this album for for our purposes, I forgot this was here. Yeah. And I didn't realize that Adam Ant and Marco Peroni, who was also in Adam the Ants, were on this song. And I thought I, I thought that was strange when I figured when I learned it that they're on a cover of their own song, <laughs> but then it makes sense why it's so similar to Adam and the ants version. Yeah. They did yeah. nothing to change their cover. No, they did nothing to change this cover for this album. They did nothing to make it their own, but I'm going to kind of disagree with what you were saying that Mark McGrath can't sing. I think Mark McGrath is at his best as a singer, but I still don't think he can sing. <laughs> Well, I think that he, so I, you know, 1997 was a very long time ago. So I don't remember much from that concert. Historically, no, but for us, yeah. (laughs) But what I do remember of Sugar Ray's performance was Mark was the definition of a front man. He Mm -hmm. was energetic. He was charismatic. He interacted with the crowd. I remember him kind of joking around with the security guards right up front, and he was just a show within himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that the theatrical delivery and nature of Stand and Deliver matches his personality very well. And then, Cash. Uh, cash! Now I can rock around Which is another one of my favorites on the album because it is just two minutes of super fast, stupid lyrics about robbing a bank. And it's just simple and fun. It's a simple punk song with a rockabilly guitar solo. That's, yes. It's a I, straightforward song. It's fun. And Sugar Ray, I don't even know who Sugar Ray was or if Sugar Ray is something for something. I don't know anything behind. Sugar Ray Leonard, the boxer. Oh, okay. Okay. That makes sense. Cool. But Sugar Ray is Mark McGrath. He's a front man oh, that took over in personality and, you know, got a job on Entertainment Tonight with um, A.C. Slater. He is he is the 90s alternative equivalent to like a Nick Lachey. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, no, Cash, Cash is just a fun, quick punk song with a rockabilly. Uh, guitar solo it is probably the strongest song on the album in my opinion so then you got invisible Invisible. 
right direction. Another version of Fly. I, you could just leave these off. You could have a 10 song album and I, I would be okay with it. So I have no notes on Right Direction. I had checked out at that point. That song just did not click for me at all invisible uh the notes i put are why why did they think this was a good idea for the album <laughs> <laughs> i no so no excuse I, me there's a second note in there why did they think this song was done <laughs> so i like right direction more than i like invisible but neither one of these are great songs and and that that all kind of plays into my my closing statements that i'm going to say here in a minute but i i really feel like on this record, Sugar Ray is at their best on songs like RPM, Speed Home California, Cash, Tap Twist Snap. These songs that are obviously very silly. They've got car noises. They're singing about drinking beer. Like, I think that's the vibe. These other songs like Right Direction and Anyone and Invisible are just the filler tracks to get what they want in there. Yeah. So the notes I have on Fly to close the album, it's the second time around. We don't need this album, this song a second time on this album. Pop lovers who bought it for Fly got hit with what the hell, while the people who would have appealed to at the time probably wouldn't want to be caught buying the record. Because I knew plenty of people who probably really liked Fly but never said they. I don't know anybody that said they like fly. It's kind of like Nickelback. I don't know anybody that likes Nickelback, but yet they keep selling tickets. They keep selling albums. I, I feel like there is a certain genre of bands. I, I hesitate to use the term guilty pleasure, but it's, it's funny the amount of people that like to shit on bands like Nickelback and Creed and even Sugar Ray to an extent but they still get millions of plays on Spotify and Absolutely. Apple music. They still sell out places when they go play. So obviously it's just a matter of people listening to it. And for whatever reason, they don't want to admit it. I, I've never had a guilty pleasure. I've listened to whatever I've wanted for years, even if it's not cool. Nine times out of 10, what I like is not cool. So it's I've not, gotten you're right. Um, no, no. There's very little about me that's cool. So I have no shame in saying that. Yeah, I like Nickelback. You know yeah, what? Like you, green. you, and I will identify, and there's nothing about us that's cool. But for some reason, we like each other and we get along. So you know, but it's the fact that neither one of us are cool. It's like they, you know, just gravitate towards one another. Yeah, like um, we probably would have Birds sat the feather, same block together. <laughs> we probably would have sat at the same table in high school in the cafeteria. Probably, yeah, probably. So actually. Uh, I'm kind of with you on I don't have guilty pleasures because I've gotten to the point to where it's this is what I like. This is yep. this is what I like. When I was younger and I was trying to be cooler, it was you know no 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 we're not going to talk about that ever with anybody because and, well, I'm not going to admit that I like that. No, but yeah, I like it. It's fine. Whatever. But no, I don't like Nickelback. And to your point, so we've talked about this 90s era stuff before. And the reason this album worked for me is because I I was listening to bands like 311 and No Doubt and Chili Peppers that were mixing rock and funk and ska and punk and stuff. So when I heard the song Fly and then heard songs like RPM and Speed Home California, cool. Like all that slots together for me. To your point someone that's listening to the top 40 station here's fly and wants an album that sounds like fly it was going to be a couple years before they got that I, I could see it being very jarring you know you're expecting songs similar to fly and rpm 
literally drives over you when it starts. But so I did find a thing. Um, it was actually off of their Wikipedia page, but it uh, Billboard claimed in September 1997 that the song Fly was not representative of the rest of the album, saying... While the band has undoubtedly become tied to the track to the track due to its widespread coverage, it is only one facet of Sugar Ray's musical persona. And so to what you were just saying, yes, 100%, they were doing all these different things. And I do think it was a very, very common thing amongst the more popular bands of the mid-90s. You know, I would say the 94 to 97, 98 period, like search of time, it was a fairly common thing to hear where bands were mixing that. And I think it came back a little bit later on, but a little bit more niche, if you will, you know, in just a few select people. But it was more of those people that actually came from ones that were in the early 90s, like Gwen Stefani did a good job of mixing it all. And she came out of no doubt. Of course, everybody knows that. So One more general thought about 90s music for a second, not to get way off topic. I often this is a see, 90s album. It's not off topic, man. <laughs> I, I often see these retrospectives about music in the 90s, and it, a couple of headlines are usually what you see. It's either about grunge. It's either about the start of West Coast gangster hip-hop, or it's the start of new metal. But what always gets lost in the shuffle, and I don't know what you call it, I've I've used the term happy alternative. I've I've college alternative. Like I don't know what you want to call it, but three eleven, no doubt. Sugar Ray, Sublime, Chili Peppers. Like there's this whole other genre that was happening at this time. That these bands. What's really interesting about these bands is not all of them, but a lot of them have stood the test of time better than the you know some of the big names out of those other categories and so so this album the what i could find the styles of music that it actually combines heavy metal funk reggae pop ska punk and hip-hop okay and so all of the bands that you were just talking about yes they do that very same thing they mix all of those same genres of music and i think one of the things about them is a lot of them haven't stood the test of time as much as they have beat the clock and they've just lasted longer. They just didn't stop doing what they're doing. You know, 311 will always have a big crowd at their concerts. I mean, I've been to quite a few of their concerts. They've always got a big crowd. They will always sell albums. They will always have this loyal following. But they but, are definitely like a cult band. Right, right. And that's the thing yeah. about all these bands is people who are fans of them are diehard fans of them, are big fans of them. And it's like, this is what I like. This is what I want to listen to. They'll have other bands they like and, you know, ones they'll put on. They're not always going to put on the, you know, the new whatever. They're not always going to put on old whatever because you don't want to burn that album out. But I think one of the reasons why they stand the test of time is, again, not because they keep putting out good stuff, but because they keep putting out stuff and they just haven't stopped trying. You know, it's only a matter of time before a lot of these bands end up on what I've been calling the last gasp tour, which is where they start touring with other bands that they would have never toured with in their prime, but they're sure. doing it because those other bands are still around. Those other musicians are still around. But I think we're going to actually see a change in the last gasp tour, but the bands like this that are mixing all these genres, they are like the the class that came after the popular class in high school that was graduating, where it was like, they still got a lot going on, but they're not this other one that we're going to remember, but they've got a lot going on with themselves and should be paid attention to. And if you pay attention to them, you're going to get a lot out of it. I also think a big part of it is the lyrical content, because... When you think about grunge and you think about new metal, there's a lot of angst. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of uh, depression. Whereas 311, you know, it's all about positivity and unity. Uh, Sugar Ray, it's all about drinking. It's all about partying. No doubt was all about female empowerment. Like, that's why I gravitated towards that more 
than your Nirvanas and your Soundgardens and your Alice in Chains. I liked a lot of that too, but more on a musical level. Whereas lyrically, sure. these bands worked for me more. Um, but I think they weren't so bogged down in the anger that they were able to sustain better. Because uh, even bands like Corn and Limp Biscuit, who were very angry and angsty, still had a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, chord with songs like Adidas, Limp Biscuit with all their goofy covers. Like that was part of what kept them grounded, I think, not going too dark. Uh, and but Limp Biscuit's cover of Faith is one of the things that got them where they are. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, it was not uncommon at this time. Like if you were a rock band, in the early 90s or late 90s early 2000s you had to have a rocked up cover on your album that mm-hmm. was just like what you did and for a lot of bands that was a blessing and for a lot of bands that was a curse uh, and for we'll, the, we'll get to some of those another time and for a band to to have that cover on an album and it be an adam and the ants cover <laughs> that's a strange move but featuring you had adam ant featuring but you had adam ant on there right would you uh, imagine George Michael on Faith with Limp Bizkit? That would have been amazing. I would have been entertained. Very much so. So, all right. I want to hear your closing assessment of this album. Okay. Some albums elicit an emotional response that resonates with you for years to come. Songs with lyrics and musical moments that stick with you for a lifetime and grow with you. Some are deep and engaging that demand revisits to truly comprehend their complexities. Others may be simple, but after repeat listenings, the songs take on new shape and meaning for when you are, for where you are in life. And then you have albums like Sugar Ray's 1997 album, Floored, which is none of those things. There is no point to this album other than to have a good damn time. The lyrics never delve into anything more serious than drinking, partying, and driving really, really fast. While not devoid of creativity, this album is more focused on the listener being pumped up and having a good time than trying to make some deep, thought-provoking piece of art. This is the type of album you can play in the background at a frat party or loud as shit in your car going down the highway too fast. When you need a palate cleanser from listening to the types of albums I mentioned previously, this is a good choice. One to ten, I give it about a six and a half. For some reason, I had a feeling you're going to put it about a six, but so so to kind of clarify that you know kind of cheeky description there, I like an album that I can turn on and not feel a bunch of shit. Okay. Sometimes I want an album that I can just put on and feel the groove and and just have fun with it and not have to analyze it and critique it and i mean i obviously i know that's what we're doing with this show but that was the point that i wanted to do this album for is there is such a thing as a good album that is just there it's just there and it's there when you need something other than some deep heart string pull in whatever there are times in my life where i want an album that just plays and i enjoy it but I don't have to like, oh God, here's that song that makes me think about this catastrophic event or this traumatic thing or, you know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Fly was the lead single on this album. This album needed it twice, but even with the hit song on there twice that we all know this album couldn't take off. This album shows that they can scream and shout their way with no room for harmony, tempo change, or breakdowns within the same song, and I found it to be draining. Mark McGrath sounds a little out of place when attempting some of the album's more aggressive hip-hop parts and is much more successful in actual singing parts, and he still can't do that. I found my experience full of obnoxious rock songs with no aim, and I enjoy the dirty basement of punk, and it still tires me as well. Sugar Ray created an album that I would have eaten up at one time, but only for a very short time. Fly does not represent this album and is nothing more than a well-placed trick by the band. I find joy in knowing that this single helped some kids convince their parents to buy the album, thus finding a new sound of music, and the look 
on the faces of those that went to buy this album expecting to get more of Fly and didn't. This is an underrated Sugar Ray album. In the end, it is still a Sugar Ray album. But this album does show that they have a good sense of humor. On a scale of 1 to 10, I give this a 3.5. <laughs> that's awesome. No, and, and that's fine. Yeah. I think you and I describe it very similarly, and but just come down on it in a different light. Uh, <laughs> this is not the kind of album that, like... <sighs> I don't I don't know exactly how to describe it other than what I said earlier, where it's just an album that exists and the songs are there. And this is the kind of song that like this is the kind of album that if I was having a bunch of friends coming over to play beer pong and just hang out like you could put this album on. There's nothing on here that's going to be like, oh, God, what was that? Why Except is that for fly? Uh, well, they would recognize that one, and but, and you would need to skip it twice because it's on there twice. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but no, that was okay. Cool. I'm glad we did that. Uh, just, okay. Uh, so, uh, and again, so one more thing, yeah. just like I said, palate cleanser. We've been talking about some dense, heavy albums. I, I don't mean heavy and sonically necessarily, but like heavy topic i mean we just came off an okay computer which like sonically I, is a heavy album let's just it is it is which is why i thought something as silly and simple as this would be a nice juxtaposition okay. before we go into the next dense complicated album <laughs> i will save all my feelings about that statement for next week but fair enough, fair enough. next week we're going to be talking the ongoing concepts the places you will go <laughs> yes it's it's another mouthful for some reason i picked these bands that have these mouthful albums yes so anyway thank you for listening to this episode of breakdowns for breakfast good morning good evening have a good day bye later <laughs>